In these uncertain times, Volkswagen of Boise is committed to your mental health as you search for a new vehicle. Have social anxiety about speaking to other humans? Current and up-to-date online inventory? Check. Just want to flirt with options in person but not ready to commit? No commission sales team on standby to answer questions at your leisure? Check. Needing something crazy and unexpected to take your mind off the troubles of the day? Full-time fun director dedicated to making Instagram content just to make you laugh? Check. Regardless of your level of social comfort, Volkswagen of Boise has a menu of haggle-free customer experiences to choose from. Come by the dealership on Franklin near Boise Town Square Mall or go online to peruse their current inventory at www.volkswagenofboise.com. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Welcome back to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, everybody, and welcome to our guest, Katie Batazzo of Front Yard Fresh. How Hi are you, there. Katie? I'm good. How are you? Natalie, how are you doing? I'm sitting in a bathrobe drinking herbal tea, so I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to say that I think that like podcasting in our house by the fireplace, like we're sitting around with friends, is the best. It's I, the- I would agree. I feel like uh, it was natural just to come into your house and get cozy, so thank you for having me here. And thank, thank you, you for, for wearing your robe. <sighs> It's my pleasure. Yeah. I feel like we just have all these like random sleepovers, but we don't actually sleep. Maybe just... I should put my robe on, but the I... listeners can't see it. So you I don't should. Know. It's great. I'm going to act as if I do have it on. It's monogrammed. Mm. It's 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 quite regal, actually. <laughs> Next time. It's a kingly robe. It is. Uh, so uh, I wanted to bring you on, Katie, to talk to you about your area of expertise. Um I've been very interested in gardening and having a little bit more of a sustainable lifestyle. And I forget how we met or how, Natalie, how you put me in contact with Katie. Fill in the backstory. Actually, so we had been talking about being a little more sustainable, especially when we realized that, like, with just the housing market and everything, we'll probably be in this home for a a pretty long time. So we had this idea, what if we could, even though we're in just totally middle of suburbia, what if we could do something in our backyard that a garden or something. So I actually reached out on Hello Meridian and said, who do you guys recommend I talk to? And everyone's like, oh, you have to talk to Katie. So then I started like looking through what you do. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is awesome. So sent it to Shane. Shane's like, yeah, this is perfect. And then pretty much you guys have been chatting. I have kind of let Shane own this project, which I have to say, I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. I'm just kind of showing up to to hear all the goodies, but it's, yeah. I'm really excited about it too. So we met for coffee and I learned a little bit about your backstory before you tell us what you do, tell us what you did. Cause I think that that's kind of interesting before you started in gardening and planting and all things sustainable living. What did you do? Oh, that's a great question. Well, it's hard to answer that in a way. Um, Uh, as a before, mostly because gardening has been a part of my life since college. Um, I took some classes in college, and uh, I had a professor in biology say to me, um, hey, we don't need any more wildlife biologists. We need doctors, nurses, teachers, plumbers, anyone, you name it, growing gardens. And I remember being just so um, taken aback by that statement. And he was a professor in what? Um, in, in wildlife biology. Hmm. (laughs) So he was a, um, wildlife biologist teaching organic gardening and he was an incredible, uh, professor at the university of Utah. Um, and he was so inspiring to me. So I remember that statement and I remember being like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. 
if I have a garden, I'm going to make a difference in terms of our environment. And that was something that was really important to me. So after that class, no matter where I went, I um, always had a garden, whether I rented uh, a condo, a house. Um, and then when I owned my own house, um, I always had a garden because of that class. Mm. So I've always been a gardener since college. It's been about 22 years. And um, I became a nurse, <laughs> surprisingly. I became a nurse. Uh, it's funny with that statement, because I remember being like, doctors are nurses. Oh, but they have a garden. Um, <laughs> so I became a nurse, and I've been a nurse for 12 years. I'm still a nurse. I'm actually a school nurse currently. But I worked in at St. Luke's for 12 years uh, in various areas. Um, and I've always had a garden, always been interested in gardening. I um, also interned on a farm, a CSA organic farm, while I was a nurse back in 2014. What does CSA stand for? Uh, Community-supported agriculture. Mm. Um, it's a model where community members invest up front to the farmer, so they pay money up front to the farmer. That funds them to be able to grow crops for the community throughout the season, and that's um, the people who pay a certain share and then get like a weekly sh share of crops throughout the season of so, the summer. So a pool of people pool their money, pay the farmer mm -hmm. to grow the stuff, and then they get a cut of the harvest. Exactly, every okay. week. Um, and so I learned from one of the best farmers here, Casey O'Leary. She's now a professor at CWI, um, and she ran this program. So I learned this side of farming, and it just plunged me deeper into the world of gardening. Um, after that, I started a big initiative to try to start a, a, lar a large healthcare garden of some sort where we would grow food because a lot of um, St. Luke's has a lot of land. And I thought, you know what, why, why don't we use some of this land to grow food and create beautiful gardens? Um, because we do know with all the research that gardens and nature are um, play a large part in the healing process and the de-stressing process. So I thought this is perfect. And we can also create these gardens and grow food for our community, especially places uh, like food deserts like Nampa. So for a while I was actually trying to build a um, garden, some sort of community center at St. Luke's in Nampa. I got super close with the business administrator there um, the building administrator, and then it fell through. I was pregnant with my second child. Um, I got a job offer. I had to step back because we had some complications, and then that whole opportunity uh, fell through, which was a big bummer, but I dusted myself off. I was like, all right, that didn't work, um, and I was frustrated with those barriers, and I said, oh, forget it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and keep keep going with these ideas of gardening and community. And I decided to pull out my um, lawn in my front yard that wasn't being used and create a massive garden out of it. Hmm. Um, Which part of town were you living in? Uh, I live in Boise off of Hill Road. So just a little bit west of the north end. Okay. Um, At a place that was okay with you ripping up your whole front yard to put in a garden? <sighs> yes. You don't see that very yeah, often. Yeah, I don't think they'd let us do that. And so unfortunately, HOAs are a big barrier to gardens and a lot of subdivisions. And mm. it's something I also want to see change in because it's it's really a value. And I think our culture is valuing it more being able to grow food efficiently and in places where um, 
we're not doing anything with it. And so I think there's a real possibility there in the future. Mm. But I do not have an HOA purposely. I never live in a place with an HOA because it's very difficult to get around that. And I have a large front yard. So I ripped out all the lawn and put in eight raised beds and native plants and pollinators. And it's just this beautiful flower prairie with a ton of food. It's in my front yard. And I can't, I also live next to a greenhouse, Edwards Greenhouse. It's one of the most amazing. Yeah, oldest, I love it there. Yeah, it's the oldest um, geothermal greenhouse in the nation. It's mm. just in a, a really special place. Um, and so I get a lot of people drive through, and I can't tell you how many conversations and people I talk with that stop and talk with me in my garden. And we talk, we talk shop all the time. So when you started it, though, it was just your personal endeavor? Yeah, so I said, I didn't get this garden started at the hospital. I love having gardens. We moved into this house, and I didn't have a garden area, and I thought I had this big vision of this front yard garden. And that, to me, was the start, you know, being the change I wish to honestly see. Um, and I always love the idea of a front yard garden because typically people um, don't use them. It's just... You know, it's just for show. And to me, it looked like it's a very, so much possibility with growing food and actually mm -hmm. being useful to us and looking beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, our front yard on the right side of our driveway is just a blank section of sod. And it gets the best sun. I mean, it gets full direct sun all day. And yet it just sits there. It's just grass. Just grass. I've often thought that. It feels like there might be a different use for it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there. I have a couple questions. First, what is a food desert? Oh, um, a food desert is where there is not enough access to food for the community. So it could be grocery stores, it could be agriculture. Um, and so within, it's disproportionate to the amount of people and what people can access. So um, like lower economic status, not able to afford food. And Nampa is has been in the past considered a food desert. So at the time that I was um, building that project, um, the uh, the people at the hospital were really turned on to that because it was a, a place we could really improve the community, give back, and actually be able to grow some food for our community. Yeah, that's <coughs> wonderful. And then my other question was, did anyone have any issues with your front yard garden, like in the neighborhood? <sighs> no, I've had I've had so much support with the front yard garden. And I also invite my neighbors to come in at any time. They're all welcome to come pick produce. I grow so much food. I go and deliver raspberries to my neighbors. Um, we're all very like-minded. You know, I'm in a greenhouse neighborhood. Yeah, so for we, sure. we just all um, commune in the garden. Mm. <laughs> That's wonderful. No, not yet. <laughs> so I'm People might be interested in the reason for transitioning from a career in nursing to a career in gardening because you decided to do this full time, correct? Well, I'm working on it because you're a school I'm school nurse right, now. School where nurse now. where are you a school nurse? Like what uh, age group? I am an elementary school nurse. Wow, that must be um, this is an interesting time to be an elementary school nurse. I kind of feel like we need a separate podcast on that. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I, I interviewed a um, junior high uh, nurse who she wanted to see off the record, and wow, there were some stories of the last two years. Mm. Wow, and I okay. So to be clear, I have worked um, in the hospital through COVID, mm -hmm. very burnt out. I have been so burnt out from COVID. Mm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that there are a ton of people in the 
medical industry that got burned out during that time. <laughs> it, it was beyond burned out. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond burnt out. Mm-hmm. So I decided um, to do some work in the schools, which is very challenging. It's a completely different world. Uh, but I love kids and I love community health. And so I thought it actually went well with gardening, even my business, because I do see so much potential with schools and kids and growing gardens. It's just, it's coming yeah. more yeah. and more. There's a, a school down, I think it's in Meridian, that has um, a garden. Like there's a elementary school. I don't know if there's several in here, but I just remember going, we did some stuff for teachers down there. And there's like this beautiful garden right outside. I didn't know that elementary schools ever did that. Um, Boise Urban Garden School, Bugs. Okay. They um, do all the coordinating for school gardens, um, at least in the Boise School District, I think. I think it's the city of Boise. Um, and so they probably don't uh, run the Meridian schools, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of city support to help run those gardens through the summer at many different schools, which is really neat. That's really mm. cool. Uh, involvement of kids is one of the primary reasons that I'm excited about this. I'm always looking for opportunities to teach my kids and to give them some, uh, you know, chores and tasks to start building up a work ethic. And I think that the idea of a garden is an amazing way to do it. You teach them about the life cycle. You teach them about the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The ecology, like the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot to learn when they're doing something like that. And the appreciation of the food. I mean, well, we grew up so differently, like, than our kids are. I think so many of us did. But, you know, you were out cutting wood, you know, in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And we had a huge garden growing up, like a one-acre garden. My parents found a suburban home that had um, a huge backyard that moved into a pasture. So we had, like, cows and a huge garden in the middle of, like, suburbia. It was so bizarre because they wanted us to – my mom's like, I don't want my kids – I don't want my daughters to not be able to get their fingers dirty, which is, or their fingernails dirty, whatever. Mm. <laughs> Sounds weird if I say that. Um, and so every summer it was like so many pulling weeds and everything. And the thing is, is I did like that, but at the same time I realized how much work it was. And I think that's why I've been a little nervous about this project because I had this memory of like maybe a garden that was a little bigger than our family could handle. So I'm like, well, Shane, you own this. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be behind it because it is so hard to get our kids involved in things when we can't just let them run. They're not going up into the mountains. We have this little plot of land and it's like it's this or we're driving them somewhere. Yeah. I can't get them like mentally or emotionally attached to chores. But the closest thing that I've gotten is with our cat. Like they love this cat. And so they're a little bit better about taking care of that cat. But there's something about growing these plants too that I've heard stories of people really connecting with their gardens and seeing these things grow from seeds to you know blossoming and uh, fruiting plants people grow these relationships with them that's exactly what it is I like to say um, you are developing a relationship with your land Um, and that is an incredible feeling and that's where you know we hear all these um classy memes about gardening being therapy or my garden is my therapist but the reality is is it's a it's truly a place where you can heal and de-stress and just really enjoy the wonder of nature uh the more I get into gardening the more questions more puzzles I have in gardening so uh it's just it's a it's a whole world that just keeps growing um and you can appreciate so much what I love about kids in the garden and what I've learned I have two little boys they're eight and six and 
they, I wouldn't say that they're uh, little gardeners by any means, but what I've noticed is it's just this learning by proximity, just having it in your backyard, seeing you in it, seeing you bring in different things to try, going in and just picking what you want is just having that as a part of their life without them thinking about it. Um, it just, there's something in them that they, that they absorb just naturally without us trying to teach, without us trying to, you know, have the, have an objective with the garden. Um, that's what I love. And here's, I'll tell you a story about a client I had. I have this, um, client who's a lawyer, um, big wig lawyer doing awesome. Um, you know, has this beautiful house and he had me over and we're talking about this garden that he sort of inherited and he wanted to make sure he did a good job. And I was talking to him and he, I said, tell me why this is so important to you. And he said, you know, I grew up with a garden. My mom always had a garden and it was just, it was something we always had. And now I really wish that I had paid more attention to what she was doing because now I really feel the need to garden it's, I want it in my life because I've always had it in my life, but I actually don't know what I'm doing. And I just thought it was great because it was him initiating the process with his land. And he also definitely got something out of just being around his mom in the garden. So um, even just providing the opportunity for your kids to wander in it is it makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. Man, listening to you talk gets me really excited. And I can see why there's such a resurgence in this interest. It feels like there are a lot of people that are embarking on the odyssey of gardening. Um, you hear it in podcasts. You see it on Instagram. One of my favorite uh, TikTok accounts is uh, Mike's Garden. And he's got this amazing backyard garden. I think he's in California, which, of course, everything grows in California. But um, I could be wrong. But it's beautiful. He just takes these tours of his planter beds and of his little relaxation spots. He's got a fire pit. He's got, he's got everything. And it, when I see it, I think I would want to spend time back there. I want to spend time just kind of touching the grass and smelling the smells. That sounds like an oasis. Mm -hmm. It is. And it changes every year. It changes every day. Um, there's still possibilities for people to actually discover new insects in lawn in in our own backyards that's mm. how much entomology we don't know about um and you have entomologists saying you know if we paid more attention we'd be discovering more species in our own backyard just to give you an idea of what's to discover even in your small yards mm. your side yard that you're not using if you build that up and build an ecosystem things will happen and it's just fun to be a part of that yeah well before we go any further Explain to people what you do. When I learned what you did and we kind of started working together, I guess it feels kind of trite to call you a consultant, but you have a specific range of expertise. So explain what it is that you do. I like to call myself a garden coach um, because I like to come in with a client and look at their space and look at their goals um, and be able to create something out of their space or give them recommendations for what they can do with the space in terms of kitchen gardening. So I'm very specific. Um, I'm all about showing people how they can grow food in their yard based on a raised bed system. And it goes back to what you're saying. I love the raised bed system or what your concern about the, um, about having too much work. Mm -hmm. um, 
I love raised bed systems because they are very low maintenance. They're great places to start and build off of. And um, they work well for a modern family that have jobs, that are busy, but still want to interact with their land. So I um, consult with people about how to build raised bed systems um, in parts of their yard. And then I also help people come up with planting plans, what to plant where, uh, what to plant with what, um, and I give them guides on how to plant it, when to plant it. Um, and then I can also provide garden coaching throughout the season. We troubleshoot challenges together, and I uh, provide opportunities for them to experiment. Mm -hmm. Do you go out to their homes and take a look at what they're seeing and uh, like boots on the ground? Yes. So I come to your space, evaluate it, and we talk about what's important to you and then come back with a plan. Yeah. So and let me. Oh, I was sorry. just going to mention. So you've already done one of these for us. And if the people listening would like to see it, go to hashtag the Boise Bubble Garden and it will link you right to um, a reel that shows what you've done for us. So you can kind of be looking at some of the process that we're doing. Yeah. So for the listeners, let me give an example so that they can visualize or hear and visualize what it is that you do. Because for me, it was awesome. In our house on the, I guess I'd say it's on the east side, our house faces south. So on the east side, the left side, as we're looking out the front door, there's this strip of backyard. It's really side yard that is about, I don't know, how wide was it? About eight feet? Is it eight feet, nine feet nine wide? Feet. Nine feet. Mm -hmm. um, but it's pretty long. It's probably 25 feet long. And it's got this, it's got this like planter bed up along the house with this little kind of concrete curve curb and this section of sod which we cannot keep alive that weird configuration of a narrow strip is hard to get the irrigation working right and we have just struggled with that thing so much so that we just gave up on it we gave up on it and we just let it die over the past two years and every year a little bit of it grows back and every year a little bit more of it dies or gets covered up by weeds but it's right outside it abuts this pergola that we built and it's this beautiful place, but when you're sitting back there, if you happen to turn your head to the left and you're looking down this long strip, it's kind of an eyesore. And I've always wondered, what do I do with this thing? How I do did we... try planting hydrangeas. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I found out that it was hard to plant hydrangeas. In fact, I'm friends with um, Sky Hamilton, who's like the hydrangea specialist, and she's coming to help me plant hydrangeas in another section, but she saw like where I planted them. She was laughing so hard. And I'm like, I don't know. I just thought you could put stuff in the ground and like water it. Of course I didn't. Well, I wanted it to be watered by the sprinklers. Um, it, yeah, they, they died very quickly. Um, and so, uh, but I, I attempted something, but I found out there's like a, there's like a, apparently a science. <laughs> oh yes. And hydrangeas. Yeah. They can be tough. Yeah. Um, what I love too about raised beds in that specific area is you're going to build up ideal soil have drip line in that area. And that is going to be a game changer for you to be able to grow a variety of vegetables and flowers in there. Yeah, I was really concerned about it because up against the house, and then we've got this six foot fence mm -hmm. on the opposite side of, of that strip. Um, I was thinking about the sunlight and I just, I thought, 
you know, one of the barriers of entry to gardening is a lot of people, they don't know all these factors. There, there's so many factors that play into the success of a garden, one of them being light. And so is there enough light in that area? And based on how much light, you can grow different things. I mean, some things are probably going to thrive and others are going to struggle if they don't have adequate light. So I just, I just didn't know. So that was the first thing that we did. You came to the house, we took a look at the space, you measured it off, you took some photos, and then we talked about light. And it was incredibly encouraging for you to say, oh my gosh, there's a ton of things that you can grow here. Exactly. Um, so yes, light is incredibly important. And typically with some of our more popular crops, you want to make sure you have six hours of light. But if you don't, there's a lot you can grow with a lot less light. For instance, herbs are a great place to actually, um, they require a little bit less light. They're a little more tolerant of some shade. Um, lettuces and greens grow really well back there um, with less light. So there's a lot you can do with um, less than ideal conditions. I actually think your area is going to be great for a variety of different um, crops. And you can utilize, you know, those different microclimates just within that area for different uses. So yeah. that's something that I help people see um, in those consultations. Like, well, maybe you aren't going to grow corn in that area. You don't have a large enough area um, with those boxes. You need a, a, a larger um, square foot area to do that. But you can grow as much lettuce as you want. You can grow flowers. You can grow um, native pollinators to make it beautiful. Um, you can definitely grow tomatoes with the amount of heat that's coming off of your house right there. And sometimes um, having that morning sun, but having that afternoon sun go away is an advantage because that can be a scorcher here in Idaho. Mm -hmm. You might not know that. Just kidding. I know you know the summers are intense and yeah. Yeah. so it can have be an advantage. Brutal. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say one of the things that, that I most appreciated about your approach to it is um, you first asked me, what do you eat and what is your family going to eat? I think that a lot of people, they don't think that through. And it was a great exercise for me to think, well, what does my family eat as far as vegetables? And that made me a little bit depressed, thinking that my kids don't eat nearly enough vegetables. We had tons of vegetables today. Oh, we like, had to. Like that's right. There's we, like many vegetables. Like we're not going to eat okra because. I eat okra. I know, but I'm not making it because it's gross. Um, but I think we eat like we eat a lot of salads. Mm -hmm. You know, there's yeah. most things that we put in a garden we would eat. So the list that I came up with, I'm not looking at it right now, but the things off the top of my head that I thought, well, we eat. Um, we eat cucumbers, we eat some zucchini, some squash, uh, lettuces for sure we eat, um, some root vegetables, like mm -hmm. I like radishes, uh, carrots, um, we, uh, we always eat potatoes, uh, there's a lot of things that we eat, bell peppers, um, jalapeno peppers, jalapenos, love jalapenos, there's so many things that I just started this list, and then from that list, that's when we said, okay, well, which ones are going to thrive in an area of these conditions, and which ones aren't? And that was the basis of that plan. I love that that approach starting at what do you actually eat? Yeah, I also like to help people <clears throat> think about their favorite recipes, things they actually cook, and then work backwards. <clears throat> and work backwards. So think about the things you cook and the, your favorite recipes that are just things, they're, they're always in your rotation, let's say. And then work backwards in the sense of, okay, what a, what part of this recipe can I actually grow? Um, and that's always fun to be able to source those ingredients in recipes you love already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a great way for new gardeners, especially because a lot of the spring, and if you're on Instagram or social media, you're getting excited because there are so many beautiful things popping up right now. Grow this, grow this, or go to the nursery and you just go crazy because things sound cool and pretty, mm -hmm. but you might not eat them. You might not know how to grow them. So you, you know, you really prioritize the things you want to grow with what you actually eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have uh, a pretty good herb garden because that's like one thing that it's beautiful. I th saw that. Yeah, thank you. So that was uh, because it's uh, Shane has nicely irrigated it. Um, it grows, but it's amazing how much we use that. I mean, we're using basil nonstop. We yeah. are using our um, our. We never have been able to get. Well, first of all, oh my gosh, I could just ask you a bazillion questions of why does this not work in Idaho? But we always seem to kill our mint, even though it's like everybody grows it right every oh. year. This year, it thrived. It started getting very aggressive. Like, yeah. I couldn't believe how much it Well, we had it in its it own separate thing because we knew we were supposed to do that. But, like, why did it just die? Something happened that our water shut off. Oh, um, it was the quality of the drip lines. Like, the nozzle ended up getting clogged up or dried out during the, you know, in between the cycles. And it just stopped watering it for, like, a week before we noticed him. By that time, it was too late. Yeah. But had we kept the water going, we could have had a freaking backyard full of I'm not sure what you do with it but and then we can't I cannot get cilantro to grow that's it just seeds like really fast and my parsley never goes but my basil goes great unless Shane is watering it but doesn't realize he's actually putting on weed killer oh dear <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> you killed an entire summer worth of basil in like one foul swoop I don't but remember a lot of the details, but if I did, <laughs> I'm sure the story might be a little different. No, uh, anyway, I'm concerned. So, <laughs> yeah. so we learned Jeez. from that, and I, and you know what? We didn't have basil oh. for the summer. It was fine. The end product of what you produced for me, I ju it just blew my mind. You sent me this PDF with a 3D rendering of my space with a configuration, actually a couple of configurations of what these planter beds might look like. And it was so inspiring to see it visually to think oh that's how this thing could look that looks dope oh my gosh there's trellises arch trellises going from one to the other i thought if i can do that and we can actually walk underneath this stuff as something is growing on these trellises my kids are going to live in this beautiful garden it's awesome oh you're going to do it it's it's totally possible we are going to do it and it's going to be amazing yeah. yeah i can just see our 17 year old out there with like a book and like just hanging out yeah just like you know, we just we have a couple kids who really love that kind of special quiet area, and I'm like, oh, this would be so great for them. So it's been a great journey for me, and I've had a ton of questions, and I'm sure that other people have questions too. Let me just ask you a few. Tell me how pollinators and flowers coexist with some of these crops, and what's it, and another question that might kind of parallel this is, what's your position on pesticides, and how do you manage pests? So, um. Great questions. Um, so remember that every third bite of food that we eat is pollinated by insects, by, by pollinators. So we need those insects in our gardens pollinating our food so that we have food. They are just incredibly important to the ecosystem of food. <clears throat> so everybody has a responsibility to support that ecosystem and it helps us eat our own food. So um, flowers and pollinator plants, which are the majority of them are flowers, 
they provide not only food, nectar for pollinators, but they also provide habitat, um, shelter for these pollinators to be able to survive year round in our gardens. Um, and in terms of pesticides, I am organic. I do not use pesticides because the whole premise of a healthy garden is healthy soil. And when you have healthy soil, you don't have stressed plants. And when you have stressed plants, what happens is you have um, pests come in and target those stressed plants. So what you see really is the beginning of the process is a stressed plant. And then you'll see a lot of pest problems because of a stressed plant. And we look at that kind of from the top down, say, oh, these pests are here. we got to get rid of the pests. But what we really should be doing is supporting our soil so that our plants aren't stressed. Um, and see, so it's just a real paradigm shift. I never shift. would have thought like that. I thought, well, the pests are probably what's causing the stress. Right. But you're saying that the pests target stressed plants. Exactly. Typically, your plants are stressed in some way already, which target pests. Um, and then uh, if we don't have enough habitat for beneficial insects, we have this imbalance of pests. So... Um, have you ever heard of a hoverfly, for mm -mm. instance? Hoverflies can eat up to 60 aphids um, per day, one hoverfly. Well, if you, develop, uh, if you develop habitat for hoverfly, you attract them into your garden. Um, there is a natural predator for aphids, things that attack your tomatoes and your brassicas. Brassicas are like your broccoli and your cauliflower. So um, there are lots of plants that attract beneficial insects that keep those pests, those pests that we consider um, in check. So do certain plants, flowers, and pollinators attract certain kind of uh, insects? Yes. So um, in my planting plans, uh, I will always provide um, companion <laughs> plants and flowers that help uh, bring in beneficial uh, predatory insects. So sweet alyssum, I don't know if you know what sweet alyssum is. It's these tiny white flowers that you usually see spill out of these containers. They're beautiful, but what people don't realize is how beneficial they are to um, hoverfly. They invite hoverfly into your garden, and those are predatory for, for aphids, which mm. are a big issue for a lot of gardeners. Aphids overcame our front tree, a couple of our front trees. I could like you don't see it, but when you when I walked up to it, it was covered. I mean, branches were just. I couldn't believe how many aphids had infested this tree. Um, so I can imagine that they can really wreak some havoc on crops. Absolutely, and that's kind of your your you know question of okay, what's going on inside this tree? Not so um, not so much about the aphids, but what's happening with this tree that we might be missing water? Is it a soil issue? Um, and there is a time and a place for pesticides at some point. You know, sometimes you have to use them, especially if you have a, um, you know, a huge infestation and you're going to lose your tree. I get that. When it comes to food gardens, though, um, you know, for us, it's, you know, if you have a stressed out plant that's getting attacked by aphids, likely what we're going to do is pull that plant and fill that space with a new plant and start over mm -hmm. the process. Interesting. So. so I have a question a little bit about, I guess, neighborhoods in Meridian and, and Nampa and Boise. They're, um, I don't know how much you deal with um, just seeing basic plants that are planted by um, developers. 
But when we moved to this house, we were really surprised by the size of a tree that was in the front. It was like somebody just picked it out of a, a nursery. No, and it, it looked like it was meant to be in some huge forest. It was and a blue spruce. It yeah. was this beautiful oh. blue spruce, but it got... We had to rip it out because yeah. it was going to overtake our entire yard. It had taken over half of the sidewalk. Uh, <laughs> um, it had choked out. Like, they had planted a couple of other uh, barberry bushes right up next to it. They were... It literally ate them. Yeah, it was so weird. So, I'm wondering, like, when you're driving around wherever, are you noticing there that there's some intention um, intention with some of these... With, with developers and such, with plants... Or are you noticing that maybe people aren't really understanding the ecosystem and how plants work together with some of these faster developed um, neighborhoods? I have to say we have a lot of really amazing de designers in our community that are really pushing for a shift in um, what we value here in Idaho, fire-wise landscapes, drought-tolerant landscapes. So I will give developers credit. I'm starting to see a shift in that, mm -hmm. and that's always a good thing. So I always want to acknowledge the movement toward something better, not just the green lawn. So I, what I have noticed is more drought tolerant. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say that I still think we're really missing the mark in our climate, what what grows well here, and what supports our ecos our local ecosystem. We're still missing that mark, and there's just so much potential there to investigate and add um, so that we th we have an, a thriving ecosystem here in Idaho. Do you think it's because we have this idea of what a neighborhood should mm -hmm. look like? It's what we value. Mm -hmm. um, if, with HOAs, you know, I, I have lots of clients who get complaints because they put edible perennials in their front yard. I've had clients who um, have had complaints because they put a, a box that they wanted to do cut flowers in. And um, I think that's a huge barrier to this relationship with the land. It's not just something that sits out there unused. Um, there's just so much potential in what we value as a culture in our front yard mm. that, um, yeah, we have a ways to go. Well, along that line, are there any specific plants or flowers that come to your head that do thrive in this climate? That come to her head? Yeah, I've never heard anyone say Sorry, let me rephrase. <laughs> what comes to your mind specifically when you think of we're missing the mark and we're missing some opportunities? Well, especially for people who are kind of like, I just, you know, maybe they're not ready to like hire a coach or something. And they're like, I want to bring something new, something that's more Idaho um, uh, sustainable, something that like if they just go to the nursery that they are like, I have this power. I, I know that this this will work better than maybe what they've been doing. Right. Um, I would recommend because it's hard. It's hard to when I list a plant. I think people aren't going to remember that name. Oh, I will go find this plant. I think the best thing you can do right now, if you really want to see that change, or or if you're thinking about shifting um, in that direction, is go walk Idaho Botanical Gardens. They have native. Um, garden areas and they have plant tags everywhere and the people there are amazing so they can teach you and you can actually see it so you can um, envision it in your yard right um, there's Idaho Firewise um, land um, Idaho Firewise garden um, that you can go walk around and see what Firewise looks like and so if you live in the foothills now you can really see the color and envision oh wow 
you know, I think drought tolerant, kind of think blah, it's uh, desert, I don't like sagebrush, but you would be amazed at some of the most beautiful plants you can find in a firewise garden. Mm. Um, what are some of the varieties of crops that per, that thrive particularly in Idaho? Well, we know potatoes do, right? Mm. <laughs> I just went to my first potato oh. harvest. It was freaking fascinating. It was freaking cool to see it. It was crazy. It was one of my most viewed reels because people were like, I've lived here my whole life. I had no idea how cool that whole process was. Okay. I watched The Martian recently. I don't think I've ever seen The Martian. The book is really, it's better. Than this astronaut <laughs> gets stranded on Mars and he's got to live for over a year while they come back to, to get him. And he's plants, he plants this garden inside this habitat. But one of the things that he plants is potatoes. I think it's the only thing he plants, yes. right? What he did is he, he took a potato and he quartered it and then he planted the quarters. I guess I don't understand how potatoes work. <laughs> <laughs> Can you cut a potato up and plant it? So um, you want certified seed potatoes here. You, you're you not going to have as good of luck if you went to the grocery store and cut up a potato. But technically, you know, the uh, potatoes, you see the eyes on them. Mm -hmm. Those are essentially the start of a new plant. So when you get a seed potato or a potato and they have eyes, you cut the potato so that each section has one of those eyes or the small green that foliage that's sort of starting to come up. Yeah. And that's the start of a new plant. And that's what you plant in the ground. And then the plant grows up. Um, and you continue to bury those potato that potato plant. And then these lateral shoots are what come out with more potatoes as the plant grows up. Crazy. So wait, okay, I guess I should know how a potato plant works. <laughs> but um so as the as it's coming up, you continue to bury it. Mm -hmm. So it's like desperately trying to get to sun, and you don't let it. Well, <laughs> you don't bury the whole thing because that that would not work. But you basically keep burying like half of it. You could keep half of the plant exposed to sunlight and keep burying. Some people have, you know, three four foot potato barrels that they just grow up. Oh, a lot okay. of people will dig down a foot. Um, and then just make sure there's a lot of space around that plant for sh potato shoots to come off of. So I'm hearing that potatoes take a take maybe more square footage than others to they, grow. They can. And the thing with potatoes is that you can't really plant potatoes with um, popular crops that do well, like tomatoes. Those two do they share blight or diseases within the soil together. Oh. So they can't be. Um, grown together in the same box at the same time or even up to a year to two years after so potatoes are fun to actually um, grow in a separate container and you can actually grow it um, pretty compactly on your land it's outside of your upcoming raised bed garden and save room in your garden for other things nice nice so Okay, so we've got potatoes. And I mean, we know some of the things that grow mm -hmm. well in Idaho. I mean, we right. know sugar beets. We know hops. Um, um, onions do fantastic. Pumpkins do fantastic. So are all those things that do really well for our ag, does that same, or do most of those same, same things and corn, do they do well in backyards? So um, a lot of those uh, crops that we talk about are warm season crops or hot season crops. So the summertime season um, we're hot and dry. We get warm enough. So our squashes, um, our tomatoes, our peppers, 
onions, all those things do well here because we have enough heat um, and sun. Um, we have a harder time with some of the things that require more water or cooler temperatures, but we do have a cool season, which is coming up. So a lot of people can grow uh, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, um, more like mid-March to end of March, all the way through May. So as you get better at gardening, you'll start to learn the timing of things. Um, you'll start to learn how to extend your seasons with row cover or warm up your soil earlier to get some of those cool season crops that would not do well in our Boise summers to do well on the shoulder seasons like the cooler springs and the later in the fall. Nice. So really, to be honest, we have an amazing growing um, environment for a ton of crops. That's why we're so ag agricultural, because we can actually grow so much here with our conditions. What doesn't do so well? I know that there Hydrangeas, are Hydrangeas, just I know. Uh, <laughs> there are so many people coming from California. They do fine. And my, my family grew up in the Bay Area, and my grandma and grandpa had this beautiful lemon tree, and I just remember the smell of it. And I thought, oh, that'd be awesome lemon to grow trees. a lemon tree here. That's not going to work. No. Unfortunately, I, and I've had clients from California, they say they want a lemon tree. Um, you can grow it in a greenhouse, but it has to be a heated greenhouse. Uh, if you haven't been to Edwards, you'd love to walk around in there. Um, they have great fruit trees, lemon trees, and tropical plants in there because, yeah, they're year-round, heated, humid. Um, but, yeah, we can't grow lemon trees or avocado trees, most citrus um, outside. It's just – it's a sad thing, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we had a conversation that I found enlightening. What types of crops can you harvest multiple times? Because it feels like there's some that, you know, you grow it for months and you harvest it once and that's it. So your yield is kind of limited, but there are some that you can harvest multiple times. What are some of those multiple harvest crops? So um, you can always do multiple harvests of a lot of our root crops, beets, carrots. You can plant them early in the spring and then have another succession. That succession planting is basically um, continually planting. Um, so having another set of a crop go in later in the year. Mm. You can have a succession planting of carrots and beets for the fall. Um, snap peas can occasionally do that if you get them in early enough. You get them in the spring, and if you plant and the conditions are right, you can do it again in the fall. Um, lettuces, absolutely. Lettuces can mature in 30 days. So you can actually keep growing lettuce throughout the season if you reseed it. I wanted to mention cilantro. A lot of people struggle with cilantro in our, in our um, area because they think that they um, have to plant it once and that's it. But if you want a steady stream of cilantro and time it with your tomatoes, which is when it's really hot, you keep reseeding, which means just to continually put seed in spaces in your garden throughout the season so that um, your cilantro is ready and doesn't um, go to seed because it will. It's called bolting. It will bolt in the heat. But if you keep seeding it, you'll have these young tender plants of cilantro to harvest throughout the season. So by oh. seeding, you're saying just plant more. Exactly. So um, a lot of people will do it every two weeks, just throw a few cilantro seeds in the ground. Okay. So, okay. Well, two things. First of all, I want to mention, I did see in Garden City, there's this guy, I think it's called Rarity Rugs. Oh. He has a banana tree oh. outside that he has done. He like came from, I can't even remember, but... 
there is one at least like fruiting banana tree in awesome. Garden City, and it's so cool. He just has this whole thing um, just created so that he because he wanted bananas. So I, I have it. seen it in Idaho, but my I guess are you when you come into someone's house? Is this are you planting everything from seed? Um, no, not necessarily. Okay. So another part of the coaching process is figuring out where people are in their process. Are they brand new gardeners? Have they started things from seed? Do they, um, have they gardened before? So we like to um, definitely do a cost benefit analysis of, is it worth you learning to grow all this stuff from seed? No, let's just have you pick out plants from a nursery this year so that you uh, experience success and mm -hmm. you'll wanna keep going. We wanna keep things simple and build off of all those processes so that you do wanna keep gardening. I don't want you to have too much failure. And when I say too much failure, you're gonna have failures. And I like to coach people through the failures because um, it's something that's really important in the garden. I am, I've been gardening for 20 years and I'm probably one of the biggest failures in gardening. But that's because I'm willing to try things and then adjust and try something new. But you might walk into my garden and say, you're not a failure. And I'm like, oh, well, I had a lot of things fail last year. I've had a lot of things fail this year. Um, but I keep trying new things and I keep learning new things. Mm. So that's part of the process. <clears throat> nice. Are there any are there any crops that you wish that people would grow more? Like, man, people just don't do this here, but it would actually do really well. I love tomatillos. Do you have oh, you yeah. grown tomatillos? I've never grown that. Well, mm. we. We, I have grown a single tomato. I love it. Yeah, yeah we grew, we, I tried really hard and we got one tomato out of it, but so not those kind though. When you think, just curious for you, because you grew up around a large garden, mm -hmm. right? So um, did you spend a lot of time doing the growing or was it more proximity for you as well? Or it sounded like you had to weed a lot. So that was we a punishment. A, well, it, it wasn't punishment. It was just my parents. We had five, there were five kids and they wanted to keep us busy. Um, so it was mostly weeding. And I think it was my mom's therapy. Um, and then a lot of us going out and like eating straight from the garden. So like, I have a lot of memories of, of like vegetables covered in dirt. Like, I know that sounds so crazy, but like, there's nothing like a carrot that's kind of still covered in dirt or even strawberries that still kind of have that. So that was a lot of my, mine is just like, I, I just went out there and, and we grew rhubarb. And I remember like going out and eating it. My mom's like, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the memory of trying to eat raw rhubarb. Um, so yeah, that w it was more of just like having as part of my life. But I don't feel like I had a connection in the growing so you haven't grown since that experience necessarily, not, other than not vegetables. I mean, I tried to do tomatoes during. I mean, everybody was doing something during COVID, and I was like, I'm gonna plant tomatoes, <laughs> and then. Uh, but my herbs have done really well. So other than the herbs, though, I have never been successful with um, planting really anything. So even succulents, I kill succulents. Oh, I do too. I'm yeah. gonna be honest with you. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's always something that everyone always kills. You know, I love um, tomatillos. They do really well. They're, they, um, they're a beautiful plant. They're not a tomato, but they have this like sour, um, tangy taste that we make uh, uh, chili, and, uh, chili verde with a lot. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the recipes I always love making, it's just in our rotation, is chili verde, chicken with chicken and zucchini, and it's amazing. And so I always grow tomatillos so that I can make my own chili verde sauce every year. Yum. And it is oh, so good. 
You know, I've noticed a lot is that I'll see people who say, hey, I've got like um, raspberry shoots as it shoots. Mm -hmm. But like there's a lot of people who do raspberries just in the neighborhoods I've noticed. Um, do, is that a pretty common thing? Yes. And I love raspberries. I have like two 30 foot rows of raspberries. So phew, you, you and they do really well. Um, as long as you provide them with the right condition, not wet feet. When I say that, you don't want to overwater them. They like the soil to actually dry out. Um, and so here that that's a really good condition for them. Raspberries are wonderful. Blackberries do well. Um, I think one of my favorite things to grow are um, all the variety of squashes here because they actually do really well. They're pretty low maintenance with the exception of squash bugs, and that's a whole nother podcast. But um, squashes, there's just so many delicious flavors. It's just not this one zucchini that you see every day in the grocery store. There's like five different varieties of zucchini, and the winter squash varieties is just to die for in our valley. Mm. Yeah, what is, can you grow, is it called delica? Delicata. Yeah, can you grow that? Yes, it you could grow like that. It is like my favorite thing. I had not discovered it. Uh, until like a couple know, a couple years ago, and I'm like, I, it does it have a short growing season or something? No, or? it's a long. It is a long growing. Um, it's a long season crop, so you have to put it in right after the last frost, and it's not ready till the fall. Okay. Um, but they're small, yeah. so like in your space on a trellis would be perfect because they're not too big. And they are, I think they're more delicious than a butternut squash. Oh my gosh, that's what I was thinking. The first time I had it, I'm like, this might be one of my favorite um, vegetables of all time. Sorry, is this a squash? I don't know squash. what this is. Delicata yeah. winter Delicata. squash. Yeah, I used to, I had a, like, I was doing some personal chef stuff for a while and it would just like show up. Mm. And I'm like, what is this? And then I found it like Boise Co-op and I just kept buying like all of it. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's it's a great pie. Um, like oh a yeah. Pump, you could use it like a pumpkin pie. It is and it's lower car carbohydrates too, so like that—that's you know helpful for me because I'm trying to be careful with that. But all right, well we need to do that. Can you put that on the list? I <laughs> just put it wrote on the it down. List. Okay. Yeah. So um, I know that we're uh, coming up on time, but I kind of want to get a couple of practical things in. Okay. Um, we're coming up on spring. It's mm -hmm. February. What can people like if people wanted to plant or get an early start? What types of things are coming up, and what do they need to do to prep for those varieties? Okay, so right now we're about to start uh, seed starting season. <clears throat> You'll, you might notice a lot of people on Instagram starting their seeds. A lot of these people have greenhouses or the correct setups where they can extend their growing. Um, I have a resource that I uh, created with Snake River Seed Cooperative that's on their website. It's a seeds, um, spring seed planting guide. Um, and so on that guide, we start um, having people seed anything from onions, broccoli, um, let's see, cauliflower, a lot of these cool season stuff, spinach, um, about February 15th. So if you're thinking about starting seeds, some of these cool season crops, you'll, you'll want to get started pretty soon. Um, right after that are our peppers and tomatoes starting in March. Um, and those guides are free on Snake River Seed or on my website um, that you can um, pick up and just to start look at start to look at and strategize what you're interested in starting as seed. Um, nothing's really going to go into the ground right now. You might notice it's very cold oh and the soil's frozen. So unless you have a greenhouse and a big setup, you're just still relaxing and dreaming about um, what you want to grow. 
Um, let's see. I think other than that. I like I watching know. people who have re- moved here recently and then they don't understand that it gets really warm in March for like a week or right. whatever. Then they go and buy, you know, I, I remember your sister doing this. She like um, came here and she's like, it's so warm and she needed to connect with plants. So she planted all these flowers and we woke up to like seven inches of snow. Like there, it was, so is it the mid, mid April, usually you're safe from where you can actually start getting into like with the flowers or whatever, or is there, is there like kind of a time where, you know, in Idaho, you're good to go. Yeah. There's two, um, there's two ways. A lot of people talk about it. Mother's day, Mm -hmm. which is around May 15th. Um, you know, any nursery and a lot of us growers say Mother's Day, you're safe. Well, last year we weren't safe, but this is Idaho. We have 10 springs and 10 winters. So mm-hmm. prepare yourself for the roller coaster. But typically Mother's Day is like the green light. There's also people that follow the stark. They follow like black and white when the snow's off Schaefer Butte, which is the big exposed mountain of Bogus. When the snow's gone from Schaefer Butte, then it's safe to plant. Mm. So um, that's something we typically look for. Some growers will not um, put their peppers in the ground until after Memorial Day. Wow. Um, because peppers are so sensitive to shock with heat and cold um, that to, to, you know, even if your pepper is smaller, but or that you, uh, even if your pepper is smaller, but you put it out in at the, um, you know, right after Memorial Day. But let's say someone decided to put a larger pepper or a smaller pepper in three weeks earlier. Um, you can still shock that pepper, and that pepper that was put in later will absolutely catch up without the stress of a cold shock that we that they might have gotten in a frost right, but right at Memorial Day, which is something that happened last year. I believe Mother's Day, the day we should have been planting, I came home to snow on my raised beds. I didn't cover, and I oh, was yeah. devastated. Last year, it it snowed May 9th. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was we're like, what is it? Gets, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it gets everybody. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of philosophies out there, and that's the fun part about your garden is you get to play with that, and you're gonna fail, and next year you're gonna do something different, and you're gonna take notes, and you're gonna enjoy the process. Yeah. So I'm hearing. If you're not going to seed or start from seed, then like somebody like us, mm-hmm. we're going to start prepping the bed. So I'm going to start ripping stuff up. February is my month. If it'll ever thaw out <laughs> enough, I'm going to start ripping that area up and leveling it out and getting ready and getting my beds ready. When do I need to be ready to start putting stuff in into those beds? March? You know what? Even then, you have time. So I'd say your goal to as new gardeners is to be ready by May. Um, You can start putting things in April, but even if you took the whole month of March prepping your beds and getting your soil prepared, um, April is go time for lettuces, which I know you guys want to plant in greens. Mm -hmm. So by April, you'll be planting some things, but absolutely by May, you should be ready to go. Awesome. And you were talking about your website. Is that a resource where if people just want to like learn about growing in Idaho, I mean, this is what you do. Can can they just go to your website and kind of check it out and see, does this feel like something I can do? Do you have a lot of that information there? I mostly share on my Instagram okay. as far as gardening journeys and tips and tricks. I also do free classes at Edwards Greenhouse, which are on my website. 
Um, I'm doing a class once a month on different topics throughout the season. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, in fact, my next one coming up is this Sunday, and we're going to talk about planting plants. So I'm going to help people um, go through a process of developing a beautiful planting plan where you combine different crops and flowers together um, with philosophies and companion planting um, and so that they have a really beautiful look, but it's productive and diverse and efficient. Um, and then I'm going to have an herb class. And then in March, I'm going to have a soil class. So there's all different topics. Um, if you join Edwards uh, Greenhouse's newsletter, you'll get those um, notifications. Or you can go to my website and sign up there. Uh, your website? Uh, www.yesfrontyardfresh.com. Yesfrontyardfresh.com. And then we, and this is just the beginning, this podcast, we're going to be showing this entire journey mm -hmm. for the rest of the spring and the summer um, so that, you know, people can follow along and maybe learn from some of our um, failures and uh, successes. I'm so excited to see this happen. I mean, um, again, go, go look at the real that we did um, for hashtag um, the Boise Bubble Garden. Um, and you'll see we're working with something. It's rough. So yeah. this will be really interesting to see to see how this is going to work out. Yeah. I have faith in you too. I think that it would be an amazing <laughs> companion podcast if maybe at the end of the season we come back and share some lessons learned. This new green person that has no idea of what's going on, me, and what do I learn through this journey? I am excited because the one... One of the things I remember in our first interview was um, you talked about wanting a garden because you wanted, um, it felt like a place that maybe you had like a little bit of control. Mm -hmm. And I was excited, I'm excited to see that journey because I think one of the biggest lessons in gardening is letting go. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm excited to see, you know, what it does for you because um, it's an amazing place to learn that lesson and just to let go and observe what how you're interacting with nature and how internet how nature interacts with you yeah so yeah. all right and and one last thing do we need to be talking to our garden like <laughs> you can talk all you want i i love it i think the more you're out there the more you get out of it so yeah. yes go talk to your garden um touch the leaves smell the smells it's a true sensory experience and you said it yourself as a child you remember those parts of it so like reignite that when you're going yeah. through your garden yeah. every year i have the kids come out and i pull out a i rip up a big thing of basil and i have them smell it i'm like mm. summer has officially started mm -hmm. i mean there's nothing like that smell i'm yeah. so excited that yes. um that we're going to do this and give this to our kids and this is, I, I'm just so excited, especially to empower other people to do it. Cause I mean, making your home sustainable and lovely like this is just, I mean, that's the dream, right? Yeah. Katie Bat Batazzo, thank you so much. This thank has been a great you. conversation. We're going to talk more. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to see how your garden blooms. It's going to mm. be, be great. All right, All right thank everybody. You. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at The Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time. The Boise Bubble Podcast is sponsored by Volkswagen of Boise. Interested in buying a Volkswagen in the Treasure Valley? Head to www.volkswagenofboise.com to learn more.